Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. The question is a compelling question. How can I know what God wants me to do? I am convinced that, I'm speaking to Christians now for a moment, that once we are alive spiritually and God has resuscitated that dead spirit and made it alive again and we've experienced that spiritual resurrection already, uh, I believe that the spirit that is within us craves to do the will of God. And so uh, if, if we're not careful, we will spend a lot of time and energy focused on on the flesh. And so sometimes our, our momentary distractions or our day-to-day stuff kind of drowns out that craving. But, but from time to time, we know that that's there, that, there, that there's a plan, that there's a purpose, that there's a calling in our life that, that kind of hearkens for us to, to walk in step with the Father. And when we don't, sometimes we're aware of it. And when we do, we are definitely aware of it. And, uh, and so as we think about the question, what does God want from me? There are so many day-by-day decisions like, like what job does God want me to do? What major does God want me to have? If I, if I get off track at some point, have I completely forfeited God's will for my life? And these are, these are significant questions. You know, do I buy this? Do I sell this? Do, what do I do with my children? Do I homeschool? Do I put them in Christian school? Do I send them to, to, to public school? You know, there's an endless string of decisions that bombard us every day. And, and although we ask those questions of ourselves, I think sometimes we don't consult the Spirit. So we know that we have, to, we know that we have a question. We wake up and we say, what do I have for breakfast? What am I going to eat for lunch? These are questions we ask ourselves. Uh, sometimes we put them in different you know, ranks as to what does God want me to eat for breakfast? What does God want me to, you know, and I'm not trying to be silly. I am trying to say that I can just about guarantee you, Romans chapter 12 tells us very clearly that it is God's will for us that our entire lives be a spiritual act of worship. And so if our entire beings, every decision we make has a spiritual consequence or spiritual blessing attached to it. And so honestly, every moment of every day is spiritual. There are no, well, it doesn't really matter or that's not really that important. As we learn to think that way, it, it becomes easier and easier to, to take captive every thought unto Christ. Every thought. Not just the ones we deem necessary or the ones we're too confused about. Now there's a lot of general, I believe, as pastoring now for as long as I have, a lot of confusion about God's will and how God speaks. And so today I want to just dispel a few myths. And, and you're free to disagree with me, but I, I would just ask that if you disagree uh, strongly, uh, that you, know, you, you, you talk to me about that. But uh, uh, these, these ways uh, that I'm going to talk about today are are not found in Scripture, and yet they're still very, very common. 
So when we talk about God's will, remember, we're talking about two specific things. So when you see God's will, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and to listen to last week where we talked a little bit more about it. I don't have time to catch us all up, but there's two specific wills that God has for us. One is the boule will of God, which is the, the decree of God, the thou, it will be done kind of will of God. God ordered it, and it, you can't get, you know, it's, you, you're not going to get in its way. Uh, the second will is the one that we're speaking more about when we talk about the will of God. Is It's the Talima will of God, which is the revealed will of God. It's God's desire, God's wishes, God's wants for us. And while He gives us permission to choose that or not, He has revealed it in Scripture. And, and while it may not line up with what we want for our life, it's always best... God's plan, God's telema will is always the best way to choose, even if it doesn't line up with what you want it to be. You're free to choose your will, but it will never take you. It might take you to more comfort. It might take you to more ease, but it'll never take you to a better place than what God's telema will for us is. So, sometimes people believe that God uh, gets in, it's in our way. And, uh, and that he will override our will for him to get his. And, uh, and so this, this, isn't, this isn't true. You, you won't find a time in Scripture where God overrides a person's will except by means of miraculous, not in means of the normal living it out. For instance, I don't really know what to do with Jonah. Jonah's will was run away. God kept getting in his way. Does that mean that Jonah didn't have a choice in the matter? I think... Jonah finally succumbed to the choice of the matter. I believe that Jonah probably could have continued to be resistant. Uh, but nevertheless, that's just my opinion. But, but a lot of folks think that if, if, they're, if you're getting away with it now, it must be in God's general collective to say okay to it. And when God has had enough of your disobedience or enough of your selfishness, then He'll just smack the world out of your hand and say that's enough. Well, listen, God in Scripture never smacks the world out of your hand, all right? He doesn't work that way. He doesn't work until the point of saying, hey, you're about to lose it, and so I'm going to, I'm going to make an executive decision. He, he doesn't do it in Scripture. So others believe that God somehow is very reluctant to give us His will, uh, as if God's will is some kind of a lottery ticket. You know, some people, everybody goes and buys one, but very few people actually get the winning ticket. So if you get lucky enough to know God's will, maybe I'll get lucky tomorrow. But God just continually gives us these scratch-offs and hopefully one day we'll get ours and we'll know what God's sovereign will is for our lives. God's will is not mysterious. Uh, well, it is mysterious, but it is knowable. Uh, and so, so what Scripture tells us is that God's will, He is not reluctant to give us His will. He is not reluctant for us to know it. And, uh, and it is not some kind of strange pleasure for God to stay uh, mysteriously hidden. Uh, other people believe that God's will is something that we have to be able to discern as God reveals signs and markers. Uh, and in fact, it was Jesus himself said when, when, when you know, he, he's announcing who he is and what he came to do, and the folks around him were like, well, do, do some miraculous work. 
uh, you know, create some sign or some wonder. And Jesus himself said, it is a perverse generation that demands a sign. In other words, if it takes a sign for you to do my will, that's not an act of free will. Uh, and so God, listen to me closely, God does not speak within signs and wonders. Can you say today, God has not chosen to do that today. He's told us that pretty clearly in Scripture. Here's something that I've learned about signs. They'll say whatever you want them to say. You've got to be really careful. Does God sometimes streak eagles across the sky with a, it is my will? Maybe. Maybe He does. But boy, we better be very, very careful that every, every yes doesn't have to be presented with a sign. I would say that it is not in God's good will to offer us signs for us to be obedient. I mean, after all, the greatest sign of all time is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you need some trinket or some token to verify God's goodness or His plan, and I mean, do you see what that does to the cross, the ultimate sign of His will and His love? So we've got to be careful about that. Uh, some people think that God speaks with some big heralding voice, you know, from the sky. And I'm going to keep living my life and we'll keep eating from the world. And, and when God's ready to get my attention, he'll just say, Blaine, yes, Lord. I mean, he won't say my name to you, uh, but he will probably say your name to you. Uh, like Samuel. Samuel, Samuel, yes, Lord. Your servant listens. God doesn't speak by his verbal voice anymore. He's told us that. And so for us to expect that God's going to step in our way and say, here's the plan that I have for you. I want you to get up. I want you to first go by McDonald's and I want you to get it. No, God doesn't speak that way. Some people believe that God works by impulses, urges, nudges. Does God work that way? Maybe. I mean, have you ever had this urge to do something, to talk to someone, to make a phone call, to write a letter, to carve out a moment to do something that was like, where did that thought come from? Maybe God does that way, but boy, it is, it is impossible to know for sure. Uh, here's, here's a test for that. There's a significant filter uh, for that. Uh, does God put within uh, our spirit a, a, a nudge, an impulse? Well, maybe. But Satan does too. And so there's no real clear way to know which is which if you're only operating in the Spirit by nudges. So for, for those of us who would say, well, the Lord told me to, or the Lord urged me to, or I just felt the Lord telling me to, you'd better be super careful. So the question would be, does, it, is this, does this work out for my convenience? Not that God's will always has to be difficult, but is the glory, is the ultimate act of obedience going to provide glory for God or is it going to provide some means of benefit for me? And so God's will would point to God. Your will would point to you. And so if you are urged, for instance, if you're sitting at a restaurant and, and the Holy Spirit urges you to talk to someone about their faith, you, you don't have to say, Lord, is it your will that I cheat on my spouse? Lord, is it your will that I burn my neighbor's house down? 
These are not things, you should have laughed a lot harder at that. <laughs> I'm a little worried about all you. Uh, so uh, you don't have to pray about those things because they're clearly revealed in God's word. There are some things that are not clearly revealed in his word, but we have to ask ourselves, where is their glory for God in it? All right, so if God, if God were to smack, our, smack the world out of our hands, uh, it would eliminate our ability to exercise free will. And, uh, and so we have to be very careful about that. What I want you to do now is I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. How do we know the will of God? Well, we can't hear voices in our head. Well, listen, if you, you might hear voices in your head, but uh, that's, you might need to talk to somebody about that. We can't know God's will by impulses, at least not for sure. We can't know God from some monumental experience that we have, some transcendental experiences out of body kind of wonder. So Matthew chapter 6, uh, this is not uncharted territory for us. It's a pretty familiar uh, passage of Scripture. The disciples have been watching Jesus' life and they hear the way he teaches, the things that he says, the things that he does, the things that he looks at, his time management, where he goes, how much time he spends with the Father and all of these sorts of things. And, and they even watch him pray. And, 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 and while they are mesmerized at his life, they, they choose, they want to live like him. But even more so, they start recognizing that the source of his existence comes out of his prayer life. And so these men, although they're fishermen and tax collectors and all that, as children, they would have learned as Jews how to spend time in communion with the Lord, how to read the Torah, how to spend time understanding the prophecies. They would have under, certainly understood how to sacrifice and how to pray at the temple day by day. They would have known all of this. But when they saw Jesus commune in the Spirit with the Father, they saw something they had never seen before. And so they said, very beginning of Jesus' ministry, teach us how to do that. Teach us how to pray. And so this is uh, the, the way it is written. This is not a... I'm not saying that we shouldn't memorize it. I'm saying this is not a rote prayer where the words themselves have the power but the formula itself. This is a routine kind of praying, an elemental kind of praying. So, Jesus said in verse 9, pray then in this way. Not pray this, pray in, as a, in a manner of this. Ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy, honored, be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, Jesus tells them that, that praying then is a mindset. It's a process, processing. All right? So here, here are the processes. This is very important. So write this down. Number one, I am concerned that God's name be honored, that God's name be revered, that God's name be holy. That is my chief expectation is that through my life, so what is, it, what is it called when we honor God's name to the chief degree? It would be called worship. When we are giving God everything that His name is worth, that is living a life of worship unto Him. And so when we say, Lord, 
Hallowed be your name. Honored be your name. What we're saying is, I want my life to be a life of worship. So first things first, everything flows out of a life of worship. Everything flows out of a life of worship. So when we're seeking God's will, we would say to ourselves, Hallowed be your name. Am I sure that this is God? Number two, am I concerned that God's kingdom is advanced? I am concerned that God's kingdom is advanced. So uh, where uh, God's kingdom is anywhere God reigns, anywhere God is in control, uh, anywhere that God is speaking. So am I concerned, or that as a, as a flow out of worship, I am concerned that God's kingdom is being advanced? The third thing Jesus says is, I am concerned that God's will be done. So these things go together. Jesus says, your kingdom come. Well, another way of saying it is, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those things go together. He restates the same thing. In other words, what he is saying is, is that God's kingdom is wherever God's will is being followed. So in our daily life, as we are following God's will, we are ushering in His kingdom. So we can't talk about God's kingdom being pearly gates and gold streets and that place that's going to come at one day. God's kingdom is revealed every time we are obedient to His will. And what Jesus tells us is we don't have to wait on that to come. We can actually pray ushering that in. How do we usher it in? We pray that our life be a life of worship. So first things first, when it comes to knowing God's will, in order to know God's will, I have to say yes to God's will before I know God's will. And that's what trips most of us up because we want to do, do, do. Oh, oh, I don't know which way to go. God, what is your will in this moment? What is your will for me to do in this situation or that situation? Listen, to, to know God's will, we have to be in step with God's will. That's got to be the chief goal of our lives, is to be in step with God's will every day, every decision, every moment, to always be looking for His kingdom to advance, to always be looking for His will to be accomplished. And when you come to those crossroads, if I'm not sure what to do, I'm not sure to have that conversation, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do in this particular moment. There's a whole lot of those moments you can blow right through and not even process what is God's will because you've already been walking in God's will. Now, I know that sounds simple, but that's, this is what Jesus is teaching them. I think sometimes we think uh, we are not going to be held accountable for what we know. A lot of people think we're going to be held accountable for what we know. I mean, you hear people say that all the time. Well, you're going to be held accountable for what you know. You're not going to be held accountable for what you know. You're going to be held accountable for what he has revealed. So you look at Adam and Eve. I mean, the very first story we have is Adam didn't tell Eve what had been revealed and Eve messed up and was held accountable. You're not held accountable for what you know. You're held accountable for what's been revealed. So we have to take a serious look at the Word of God. So if you want to know God's will, this is where we have to start. 
Not voices, not hand smacking, not signs, not wonders, not all of these other things that are the cheap, easy excuses. What we have to look at first and foremost is the Word of God. And when His... So, again, you know, do I have to... Do I have to ask, do I... You know, am I going to steal stuff from work? Am I going to, you know, murder somebody? We, we don't have to pray those things. Those things are clearly revealed. But there's a lot of things that pertain to day-to-day life that are not clearly revealed. Right? Now, typically, those are the things we're talking about, wanting to know God's will. So when His written word isn't clear, isn't specific, we still have another option, and that is His living word. So when the written word isn't clear, we look at the life, the attitude, the characteristics of Jesus Christ. So this isn't, Christianity isn't about knowing who Jesus is. This isn't learning more about Jesus. It's learning Jesus. It's living with Jesus, not a knowledge of Jesus. It's not following the teachings of Jesus. It's following in the footsteps of Jesus. It's a living relationship with Him. They didn't have a clue. They even said, you know, show us the Father and we'll believe. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, if you, know, if you want to know what the Father wants, if you want to know who the Father is, examine my life. But so often as Christians, we spend our time in the Word, if at all, letting someone else tell us what to believe. Or when we do open the Word, we're looking for fact-finding or, or check marks. Instead of learning the character and nature of Jesus. So when the written word isn't clear enough, we can look at the principled life of Jesus Christ and know what to do. The living word. But you have to have a relationship with him before you get to that moment. If you don't know who he is, you won't know his character and his nature. So you must know him, not just know about him. His loves, his passions, his desires, his hopes, his attitude, how he works in certain circumstances. What his ultimate objectives are. And sometimes the world obscures that. Sometimes sin obscures that. Sometimes our pain obscures that. So you can't continue by praying for it. We have to pray for spiritual eyes to be able to see in those moments. And that's got to be our daily position. That's got to be our daily mindset. We want to be in that place of God's will. You cannot be in God's will personally until you've already decided to be in it. Your yes must proceed His will. We want His will to be done in our life, but we really want Him to override us and force us. And He doesn't. He won't. He refuses. It's not in His boule will to override your free will. If God were to do that, if He were to override, I want you to watch what happens. We want Him to accomplish His will. He, he, Lord, I give you permission to make me want to do something that I don't set my heart to. When that happens, it removes our will. If it removes our will, it removes our sacrifice. It removes our obedience. It removes our yes And listen, when it removes our yes, it removes His glory. Well, if you go back to the very beginning, you'll know that was the whole point to begin with, was for Him to be glorified. So if God overrides our will, He overrides His own glory. 
You remember when Jesus was arrested, he goes and he prays and he sweats like drops of blood and he's, he's, in, a, he's, in, a, he's in a bad time right here, emotionally distraught. And he continues to pray and continues to pray and Jesus gets to the very end and what does he say? I, let this cup pass from me. This isn't what I want to be done. This isn't, this is, you know, you, if I get my free will and I'm going to surrender my free will to your supreme will for my life, Lord. You have revealed, even before the foundation of the earth, what manner of death the Son of Man would experience. So with that in mind, I have already said yes because I came. My yes was already in place. And now that I see your will, I'm experiencing your will, not my will, but your will be done. Well, he's our example in all things. And so as Jesus goes through that very vexing time and trial, he just all he does is just paves a path for us to be able to say yes as well to whatever the Father wants for us. So this is the essential mindset. If you're still, still concerned with your will, your way, your plans, your fulfillment, then you really have little or no hope of ever fulfilling the will of God. Those things do not go together. In fact, Jesus, uh, earlier, before he ever got to the garden, said in John chapter 6, verse 38, he said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Paul had just told all of his followers that he was going to go to, uh, ultimately, it might lead to his own death. And they tried to talk Paul out of it, and he would not be talked out of it. And finally, the, the end of the matter was, well, the will of the Lord be done. All right, now let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 6. There is an expression here that I think is very helpful. <laughs> Try to remember the illustration of the flesh never wants God's will. It pretends like it does sometimes, just enough to get you distracted from it or to put it off, to say, not now. Spirit only wants God's will and wants it immediately. And so it's in the, the mind of man, the heart of man, the emotion of us uh, is, is the sticking part that goes back and forth. It, it wavers back and forth. It's double-minded. It, it thinks in both directions. Uh, and so Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6 says, Doing the will of God, what? Somebody help me. Where do we do the will of God? Where do we accomplish the will? Do we accomplish the will of God in the flesh? No. Do we accomplish the will of God in the Spirit? No. Where do we experience the will of God? From the heart. That's where we make up our mind of what we're going to do. We know what the Spirit wants. We also know what the flesh wants. But doing the will of God from the heart. That's reflective of an attitude with God's will. Not just obedience, a drudging, begrudging yes to God's will. Because I know I have to if I want to go to heaven. That's not how we do God's will or because God's forcing us or God's smacking our hand when we don't say yes. But what, the, what uh, Paul says to the church at Ephesus is, from the heart. God's will is not about big actions, folks. God's will is about what manner of heart we have. If your heart is set on the will of God, you're already in it. People say, I want to know what God's will. Well... It is reflective of what your heart is already. If your heart is in it, then you're already in God's will. 
So that's where we have to begin. And if you want to know where, what God's will is for your life, then you're going to have to want God's will above everything else. And I know right now, that's, and I don't mean this derogatory at all, I actually say this to be collective. Some of us aren't here. Some of us are way back here. Wait a minute, I've not even said yes to Jesus yet. and You're wanting me to say, I have to do what God wants instead of what I want? Yes, that is the ultimate destination of where we want our life to be. But I'm telling you, every yes that we say to Jesus causes His worth to manifest clearer and clearer. And when, and when that is the result, when we see Him more and more, we are drawn more and more to Him. So I know now when I say, if you want to be in God's will, boy, you're going to have to just suck it up and do a lot of things you don't want to do. That's the source of joy. It's not. It's just not. Right? But we have to remind ourselves that obeying God's will is a spiritual act of worship. And so as we say yes to Him, then we are saying yes to His will and to His wants. So if you want to know God's will for your life, then you're going to have to want His will above everything else. And I would also say this. Your, your Christian life is a process, a series of saying yeses that get us there closer and closer. You don't wake up one morning and say, all right, today's the day I'm going to make that decision. Lord, I want your will in every area of my life. Every day is about us learning how to take another step in that direction. But every time we say yes, there is glory for God in it. So that's where we begin. And listen, if you don't have a heart committed to the will of God, then you will never experience it in its fullness. Paul, Paul said that a lot. I mean, you think about almost every book that he wrote. I think of 1 Corinthians you know, chapter 1, chapter 15, Romans chapter 1, uh, Colossians, over and over. It's by the will of God, in the will of God, for the will of God, over and over and over. He uses this will of God as, as uh, an act. And so there's these two competing issues in your life, the desires of your flesh and the desires of your spirit. Now, here's how you can know the difference, because sometimes it seems... I tell you, that if you ever watch America's Got Talent, they have some great ventriloquists on there, but there's not a better ventriloquist than Satan himself. Sometimes his voice sounds just like the Lord. I mean, it is spot on. And, and so just to listen to that nudge and listen to that voice, you can't know for sure sometimes. And so you have to know that when the flesh speaks, it's selfish, it's manipulative, it lies, it's deceitful. You got to be able to think all the way through that and say the chief. What what is the chief end of that? My comfort, my ease, my pleasure. Uh, the spirit, on the other hand, is selfless. It looks to God's glory first and foremost. And so, when you're nudged and when you're you know uh, provoked a little, those are great ways to know the difference. Is this God's voice or is this Satan's voice? So. Uh, in, and I'm going to make this really, try to get through this really quick. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9, we see the phrase, uh, go ahead and turn over there. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians for a minute or two. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9, it says, He made known to us the mystery of His will. And so, that's right, the will of God is mysterious. Yeah, but don't miss the first part of that. Paul said, the mystery of it has been revealed to us. It's not a mystery anymore. Right? It's not a mystery anymore. And then he goes on to say, He has revealed it to us 
Here it is. According to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, in him meaning Jesus Christ. So, therefore, it is the purpose of God. Now, listen to this closely. It is God's will, declared will, that humanity has an opportunity for salvation. Is it, God, is it God's will for him to save? Yes. How it, you can't get in God's way. He is going to save mankind. Does that mean every person? Every man person in every person, I guess, is a every person in mankind. There are no people that are not in mankind, right? Uh, so, is it is it God's will that He save everybody? Yes, it is. That is God's boule will. It is His will. But He also has given to us the free will to be able to choose, and you can reject Him if you want to reject Him. But this will is boule. His will is, its mysterious will has been revealed to us that, and it's nuts. I mean, it's crazy. You would never dream this up. That God who is perfect and holy is going to use kindness to sinners. It's God's will that He's going to redeem the lost by being kind to them. How did He do that? By patting them on the head and telling them they're great? No, by offering them the kindness of of the death of His only begotten Son. Verse 10 says it's a dispensation or an administration that includes or fits into the scheme that culminates in the fullness of times, Paul tells them. What is that? It means it's the summing up, he goes on to tell us, of all things in Christ, things in the heaven and things on the earth. So that the big picture from God's intention and His will, the first thing, it is God's will that we believe Jesus Christ. It is, it is God's will first that we, lost, desperate, destined for hell sinners, have the kindness showed upon us that is only available in Jesus Christ. That is God's will, that we be saved through His kindness, His kind intention toward us. That is the will of the purpose. Look at verse 11. We have obtained an inheritance because we have been predestined. Whoa, wait a minute. I don't think we're... I didn't mean to read that one. We're not supposed to talk about predestined. Uh, well, if you've been here very long, you'd know that that's really funny. Uh, so I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to kind of break that down just a little bit and to see what is he talking about that we have been predestined. He actually uses that passage, that, ver- that uh, word several times in chapter 1. So ultimately, what is God's will? Ultimately, we just talked about it. What is his big purpose? To redeem sinners by his kindness. In fact, Paul goes further in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 to say it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. So why in the world is it that we who manifest Christ in the flesh here on earth when it comes to sinners are pointing our fingers and ridiculing and casting out and why do we, why do, we do that when it's God's good pleasure that in His nature He is kind to sinners? I don't know. I don't know. Something's out of step there. I don't think that's walking in the Spirit. So if we're truly walking in the Spirit, what is our attitude going to be to the lost? Kindness. Wouldn't it be kindness? Well, sometimes kindness isn't patting them on the back and rubbing their head and telling them they're great. Sometimes kindness is revealing the life of Jesus Christ as the only hope and the only means. 
Okay, so we're back at Ephesians chapter 1. So let's go back to verse 3 here for a moment. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose in us, in Him, before the foundation of the world. Listen, He chose us in Him. We just learned that in verse 9, that it is God's big purpose to choose us for salvation. Now, when we say choose us, does that mean choose me for salvation? No, it doesn't. Choose us, He's talking about the human race. So God chose us to be saved. Does that mean that we all will be? No, but of the manner of those who are going to be saved, they will all be human. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Now here's here's the part about predestination. What did He choose? What did He choose? He chose that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to His purpose of His will. So again, here we go. What has God elected, predestined for us? Not that we be saved individually. He chose the human race for His big purpose. But personally, He chose, elected, predestined for us to be holy as He is holy. Perfect. As He is perfect. And so really we think about His big will that whoever believes on Him would have eternal life. But when you believe on Him, this is the second will that goes along with the first is that we be sanctified to look like Jesus. Not that we be saved to continue to live the way we were living, but now we're saved. But after we have said yes to Jesus, we live like Jesus. That's what we're elected to. That's what we're predestined, is what manner of life we would live. Not that God chooses who goes to heaven and who goes to hell, but that those who believe in Jesus Christ would look like Jesus Christ, live like Jesus Christ, walk like Jesus Christ. So for those who give ourselves any kind of out there to say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't really, you know, I don't get into all that. So the first thing is that we be holy. I mean, that we be saved. The second is that we be holy. Now, you say, Pastor Blaine, this is not nearly as practical. We're getting more and more practical the further we go. The next two weeks are going to be much more practical. This is what God's will is. If you're not going to be these things, then you're never going to be in the practical level, living like Christ. So, believe first. Listen to this, John chapter 6, verse 40. Just just listen. This is the will of my Father, Jesus said. So for those of you who want to know the will of God, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. So in other words, what is God's will? That we believe. Second, that we will be holy. Now, Ephesians chapter 5 Believe it or not, we're almost done. Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to start reading in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, 
not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You hear that? So for those of us who are saying, what is the will of the Lord? He says, what the will of the Lord is. Oh man, this next verse is going to be awesome. And do not get drunk with wine. Well, that seems kind of specific. Don't be foolish, but know what God's will is. Don't drink, get drunk with wine, which is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Okay, wait a minute. So we're going to even compare being filled with the Spirit with being filled with the spirits. That's where it comes from, actually. Because in the days of the Ephesians, there was this uh, Bacchus, this god, the, the mystery religions of Greece. They would, in, in Ephesus, and they would go to this temple, and you can still go and visit it if you want. For those of you who have a little, a little uh, queasy stomach, this might just have, to, just have to embrace here for a second. But what they would do is they would go to this temple and they would celebrate with temple prostitutes, with priestesses, and they would have these huge orgies. And as a part of these orgies that they would have, they would get themselves worked up incredibly emotionally, as you might could imagine. And then everywhere you would look, there would be these feast tables and they could eat to their full and they could drink as much as they could possibly drink. Now, here's the sickening part. In the middle of this temple was this huge round hole. And when you had worked yourself up and eaten so miserably and drunk so much, I know you've been around people and sometimes you can only take so much and then it, there's nowhere for it to go down. And so this big hole, you would see people here. Can you imagine how worshipful this is? You would run out of the room wherever your stomach is full and get to that big hole and just, right? Just expel it all. Gross, sickening. And then you'd go back and fill back up again. Over and over and over until you had experienced this, this weird, euphoric experience with the gods. That's what they would do. And for those of you who think that's ridiculous, go back to the 60s. They were teaching the same thing. No kidding. Timothy Leary, that's what he was pushing. Every time you, every time you experience this high, every time you drip some acid, or every time you, you're going to experience time and with the God, actually getting high and getting drunk is spiritual. It's when you commune with the deities. That just, that's not new. That's ancient, Right? I say all of that to say this. This is the context by which Paul lays this. And if we were to translate this into English today, there's a significant difference between... I mean, I mean are you classy? Because if you're classy, I've already messed up. I don't, I'm not saying you're not classy. All I'm saying is, this is the way we would translate this today. If Paul were here today, here's what he was saying. Stop being stupid. Don't be foolish. That's a nice way to say it. Don't be stupid. What are you, stupid? Quit being stupid. I know, for those of you, that's a bad word when I say that. But that's what the word translated means. It means to know better. Ignorant, you could also say, you know, don't be foolish, meaning, well, I didn't know any better. That's not the word Paul uses. The word Paul uses is you know better than to do this. You're a Christian and you're living your life that way. You're living it up in the world just like these Greek mystery religions are doing. And you throw it up only to run right back to it again. It's the same thing that Peter said, like a dog returns to its own vomit. Don't be stupid. But be filled with the Spirit. 
Now, here's the beautiful part of that. Filled with the Spirit, and immediately he says, speaking to one another. Because Jews and Gentiles don't do that. He's in Ephesus. So one of the first priorities of being alive in the Spirit is your ability to make unity with people that are not like you. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, with melody in your where? Heart unto the Lord. And, and by the way, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, respect your husbands as unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents for this is right. Parents, don't you work your children up to wrath. And if you have employees, treat them well. And if you're an employee, you better work well. These are all byproducts of be filled with the Spirit. And it'll affect every relationship you have. Quit living like worshipers of Bacchus or yourself, your pleasure, your own belly, your own desires. Quit being foolish. It will never, living way according to your appetite will never produce Christ in your life. Quit pretending like it's going to. Now, I'm going to switch over to Colossians chapter 3, and then we're going to be done, okay? Colossians chapter 3. And I'm in verse 16. These, these two books, especially, uh, Galatians, uh, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians... These were, these were circular letters. It means that when one church received them, their responsibility was to, to pass it along to the next church, and they made these big circular. So, so they're, they're very similar, especially Colossians and Ephesians. And so in Colossians uh, chapter 3, Verse 16. I want you to look, I want you to just glance at it real quick here. Look at verse, uh, let's first look at verse, now the second part of verse 16. Teaching, munching one another, wisdom, singing songs, hymns, spiritual songs. Does that sound familiar? Uh, what about verse 18? Wives submit to your husbands. Verse 19. Husbands love your wives. Children. Uh, in verse 20, obey your parents. 21, fathers. 22, bond servants. You see a similar. It's the same thing. I mean, every relationship, Paul pretty much says the same thing to the church at Colossae that he says to the church at Ephesus. With the exception of one thing. To Ephesus, he says, quit being foolish. Be filled with the Spirit. But to the Colossians, he says this in verse 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Wait a minute. So, here's a law. The law says... That if it's the same effect, it has the same cause. If it's the exact same effect, it has the exact same cause. And so in Ephesians, you have all the effects of the relationship. What's the cause? Be filled with the Spirit. In the book of Colossians, you have all of these relationships as the effect. What is the cause? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Which means the will of God is not some mysterious. Being filled with the Spirit isn't some mysterious thing. Being filled with the Spirit is exactly the same thing as letting the Word of God dwell in you richly. The Word of Christ dwell in you richly. The same cause, it's the same effect. Be filled with the Spirit. 
when we think about being filled with, so what is, and that's difficult. We're going to talk about that a little bit, but not, not today. But being filled with the Spirit is, 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 how do I know if I'm filled with the Spirit? I mean, I know I want God's will. How do I know if I'm filled with the Spirit? Well, so it's not like a cup that gets filled with water. That's not the word that's used. It's like, uh, when you look at every other place that filled is used in Scripture, it's got filled with madness, filled with anger, filled with hostility, filled with whatever. Lots of different usages of it. And, and the way the Greek is written is that it's, if, if its life is balanced, sorrow, the word sorrow, sorrow means that we are uh, without any joy. So to be given to sorrow or filled with sorrow means we've lost joy. To be filled with anger, we, there's, no, there's nothing to look forward to. There's no forgiveness. So life gets out of balance. There's no balance. And, and so to be able to be filled with the Spirit means that I'm out of balance. Lost. If I'm mad, I'm lost to reason. If I'm angry, I've lost to forgiveness. If I'm filled with the Spirit... I'm lost to myself. And that's what Jesus says that we should lose ourselves. He whoever loses his life will find it. Whoever saves his life will lose it. Why would we continue to try to live as if life depends on the flesh? We should be filled with the Spirit, which means daily learning how to die to self. Filled with the Spirit means losing all sense of selfishness guarded and guided by the Word of God. Let's pray together. How do I know the will of God? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Lord, thank you for your Word this morning. We pray your blessing over us as we continue to try to be obedient. I ask, Lord, that this morning especially that you would quicken our spirits and let us, let us just know how important it is for us to walk in daily obedience. And not just praying uh, in moments of despair or moments of question, but, but truly, truly emptying ourselves out. Every day, every moment, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you. Will you stand with me, please? <clears throat> I want you to know that for you to ever know how God wants you to live today, you first must belong to Him. You can't know the personal will of God until you've surrendered to the big will of God. You can't know Jesus' will for your moment until you've said yes to salvation. So if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, today would be the day to do that. Maybe you're at a crossroads in your life and you don't know what to do next. And I would encourage you, the first thing you should do is to be obedient to what He's already revealed. If you want to be in God's will and you're obedient to God's Word, just take a step. You'll be glorified by your obedience. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.